Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Often, um, often when God uh, needs to teach me something, it's not enough for him to say it. Uh, he, he can say it in a bunch of different ways, and I often still won't understand what he's saying or what he wants me to, to wrap my mind around or grasp. So instead of just telling me, he typically has to show me, and then often showing me is not enough. Um, it has to cost me something before, I does, before I'm really like, oh, okay, I see, that's what you mean. Um, so... Uh, one of our cars was, was making noise, was making this clicking noise. Um, and uh, when I heard it, I thought, I need to take that into the shop. Um, but I was really busy, and I felt like I don't really have time to look into that. So um, I knew it was going to end. You know, other other thing about taking cars to the shop is, you know, you anticipate this is going to cost me money. Um, and so that's another thing that made me kind of drag my feet. And so this went on for like a month. Um, uh, my, when my daughter, she, when my daughter dro- would drive the car, she says she would say something like, eh, I, I think the car needs an oil change. Um, and often I'll do my own oil changes. Um, I often will. Um, and so when this is happening, like in February, late January, I'm like, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I kind of put that in the back of my head and said, maybe it's, maybe, maybe she's right, but I don't want to do an oil change in February. So I just want to mess with it. And I don't want to think about it. Um, and yeah, I ignored her advice. Um, even though, even though she works at a car restoration shop with my friend Ron, um, even though she's taking classes at Washtenaw, um, on auto body, um, even though she used to work at Valvoline oil change, I ignored her. Um, so the clicking noise gets louder and more consistent. So I'm finally like, okay, okay. Uh, I submitted and I took it to the shop. Uh, when the mechanic called me, um, he said, Mr. Canty, we figured out. Um, the problem, uh, the, the clicking, where, that, where that's coming from, you've got no oil in your car. Um, so if you don't know, that's bad. Um, that's bad. Uh, super embarrassed. Um, I won't tell you what I had to pay them to fix a few things to make it right. Uh, but it sounds like $400. Um, and when he told me, I said, my daughter told me. I, oh, and he said, don't tell her. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> uh, uh, typically, typically, I don't, I won't listen to God initially. He has to show me. And showing me typically isn't enough. It has to cost me something. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Now, now I understand. Let me share this verse with you from Hebrews. It says, this, it says today, please listen. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising, the time of wilderness testing, even though they watched me at work for 40 years, your ancestors refused to let me do it my way. And over and over, they tried my patience. And I was provoked, oh, so provoked. I said, they'll never keep their minds on God. 
They refused to walk down my road, and exasperated, I vowed, they'll never get where they're going, never be able to sit down and rest. Um, this section of verses is referring back to how the ancient Israelites responded to, to being led to the place the people would have found rest in, um, the place that they were looking for. Uh, God was trying to lead them there, uh, and they thought that they would find rest in a place, but God was trying to lead them to find rest in a place. In a, in a person they weren't getting that they weren't they weren't wrapping their minds around that and so even though they had seen the glory of god um they wouldn't listen to his instructions and they were addicted to what they could see um and they were addicted to doing things their own way which i think is odd for people who were who were just slaves 15 minutes ago um they wanted to do things their own way and, and maybe maybe they were more likely to want to do things their, more, their own way if they'd been slaves for so long um they walking around the desert with unmet desire and unmet desire leads to uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. So over 40 years, God tries to explain to them using words, I need you to obey me and, and, and take the Sabbath rest. And over and over and over, they try his patience and they're not being willing. Um, and so God decided, you know, clearly I can't tell you. So I'm going to have to show you and it's going to cost you something. Unfortunately, it's going to cost you something. So God wanted the people to understand the enormity of their sin and the infinite of his grace and his beauty and his his greatness, but telling them wouldn't work. He'd have to show them. Um, And it it begins with these restless people out in the desert, in the wilderness. And so God makes a promise to them. He calls a covenant. And we've talked before about how a covenant is is between two parties where God says, if you worship me and obey me fully, I'm going to lead you to this rest that you're looking for. And the author of Hebrews explains the covenant this way. He says, now... The first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle was set up. In its first room was the lampstand and the table. It was consecrated bread. Um, This was called the holy place. Behind the the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablets of the covenant, 10 commandments above the ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the atonement cover. Uh, lots of detail in there. If you want to know more about that, uh, totally there's a, all this story in throughout Exodus um, and, and just lots of great story. I'm um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy too, where you, you can see what all the things he's talking about here. But basically in order for the people to understand the devastation of their sin and the addiction to sin, and he sets, God sets his, their sin against his holiness. He says, I want you to understand what your sin is like. And to order to understand that I'm going to bring up, I'm going to show you what my holiness is like. Um, sometimes for me to understand something, comparison helps. Like if you're, you're, you're trying to explain something to me, if you compare it to something else, I'm like, oh, God sets up this context where they can understand their sin with the backdrop of his holiness. And he, he asked them to set up this thing that he calls a tabernacle. Um, and so God gives excruciating, excruciating detail. And you can see all these through, throughout Leviticus, excruciating detail about what a tabernacle is supposed to look like. Um, some people in Israel have actually gone through the, the, the bother of creating, uh, 
a tabernacle, which obviously is not the, it's not the same as what, but they, they took all the instructions in the Bible and said, we're going to create one, you know, that would have looked like what it's like. It's definitely not as expensive as what, uh, they, they made in the Old Testament, but like, he creates this, this tabernacle. Um, and it is supposed to help people understand what his holiness is like. And he's, this, this, the, sometimes when I think about how specific he is, if you read it, it's, it's incredibly specific. You know, you know, you think, why is he, have, he being so specific about all the things he would, he's asking this tabernacle to look like? It, it would be like if I asked you to come over to my house and you said yes. And I said, okay, I want you to drive these streets. And when you're driving on those streets, I want, oh, before you leave, this is what I want you to wear when you come over. And when you're driving over that, I want you to drive um, 25 miles an hour when you're driving down South Main. But when, when, you're, when you're on a number sling, I want you to drive 30 miles. And you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, all, all, why, why are you being so specific? He was being that specific when he was explaining what the tabernacle would be like. It seems a bit much. It seems a bit much. He's saying, you need, you need to listen to me. You wouldn't listen before, so I'm going to have to show you. Listen to this verse. He says, they serve in a sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of the heavenly one. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tent, the sanctuary. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So when God's giving them instructions to, to how, how to make the tabernacle, he's giving them instructions about how to make a copy of something. He's not just doing it arbitrarily. He's saying, I'm telling you to make something on earth that's actually a copy of something in heaven. I think that's really interesting. So all the specific rules, the specific rules include like how tall these things should be, um, what colors should be used, how many hooks should be used, um, you know, who can touch this thing and who can't touch this thing, super specific details. And so once, once it's built, there are, there are all these specific rules about who can go in and who can't go in, and not everyone can be a part of the sanctuary. Um, listen to this verse, it says, when everything had been arranged like this, the priest, in, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room. So in, um, in ancient Israel, uh, I don't know if you know this, but like in ancient Israel, in order to be a priest, you had to be a descendant of a man named Levi. And if you know anything about Israel, Israel history, um, Levi is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. So in order to be a priest, you have to be a son of Levi. And then just because you're a son of Levi doesn't mean you can be a priest. Um, you have to actually be a son of Aaron, who is a descendant of Levi. So in order to be a priest, you have to be a, a descendant of Levi. And then you have to be a descendant of Aaron. Who Aaron is actually Moses' brother, if you know anything about that story. So, and then Levi, Levi priest had the, had the responsibility of helping people um, understand who God was. And this is a huge responsibility. So there, there's infinite rules. You can see in Leviticus 21, there's infinite rules about who they are and what they could wear and who, how their hair should be cut um, and who they can marry and what kind of physical contact they could have with dead bodies. Like they couldn't have contact with any dead bodies ever, even for their father and mother, which is mind-boggling to me. Um, and they, they come to the sanctuary and they had to do all these ceremonial washings. And if they did not do that, in some cases, the punishment was death. And again, when I read that, I'm like, are you serious? I didn't wash my hands and now I have to die? 
The priests were the only ones who could enter into a room called the holy place. If they, if they had followed all the rules, they were wearing all the things, they had their hair cut right and all that business, and, and they were considered clean by the standards of God that God had set up. And then in, in this outer room, um, and we just read about, they would, they would go in there and they'd take care of the sacrifices. And part of the priest's responsibility was to help the people make animal sacrifices. Um, and if you've read the Old Testament a little, you know they had this all these, all these sacrifices is crazy. So the five main sacrifices that were in the old Testament were the burnt offering. Um, and the burnt offering was just kind of like acknowledgement of sin. Um, it, it was, it was, it was basically saying I'm a sinner and I can't fix it. It was a visual picture of the destructiveness of sin. Um, don't tell me, show me often. I have to see it. Second was a grain offering, a voluntary offering where uh, people took cooked grain from their harvest. It's an offering to God. Third is a peace offering. Um, it's a kind of offering where uh, you were thanking God for, for helping you in a specific way. Uh, your, maybe your kid was about to die and God rescued him or stepped in and that, that didn't happen. You would come and you'd bring a peace offering. A sin offering uh, was a kind of offering where you committed a sin in ignorance. You did something unintentionally. You're like, oh, I, I didn't realize that was a sin. And the trespass offering was uh, a kind of uh, unintentional uh, where you violated something um, of the Lord's holy thing. So uh, food dedicated to the Lord, you ate it accidentally and you didn't realize that you shouldn't have ate it. Or um, you, you did something on the Sabbath and you didn't realize that you shouldn't have done it. Trespass offering. Then there were all these God-appointed feasts on the Passover, things like that, that you had that other offerings. Every, every day, every day, the, the priest would do an, uh, a sacrifice, a burn offering sacrifice to start the day and a burn offering sacrifice to end the day. So for sin, there had to be all kinds of regulations. Something, uh, if you sinned, you had to make it right. Something, uh, something between you and God again. So if you're in an argument with your sibling and, and you all say off the cuff, you know, shut up, dummy, that, you, that was a sin. You, you would have to get up and go and make a sacrifice. And, and then, and then when you got back and you were tired from, you know, going up and making the, making the sacrifice, if your, your dad asked you to take out the garbage, you said, I'm not taking that out. That's a sin. So you'd have to go, t- take another sacrifice, go right back. And here's, and here's something that's disturbing about this list that I, you know, when I was getting ready for this, I just, I found troubling is these up here on this list, there's no, there's no, nothing for intentional sin. I'm like, so what happens when I do something intentionally? When you look, when you read it, there's no sacrifice. It actually goes out of his way to say, there's no sacrifice for intentional sin. If you go out of your way and you sin intentionally, there's no sacrifice for that. You're actually cut off from people. You're you're supposed to be sent off into the wilderness. There's, I found that really disturbing because most of, most of the sins that I do are not accidental; they're intentional. When I know it's wrong and I do it anyway, when God's trying to tell me and I won't listen, there's no offering for that kind of sin. Listen to this. It says, suppose someone sins on purpose. 
It does not matter whether they are Israelite or an outsider. They speak evil, they speak evil things against the Lord. They must be separated from the community of Israel. They have not respected what the Lord has said. They've broken the Lord's commands. They must certainly be separated from the community. They are still guilty. This is a system that seems incredibly impossible to keep. And, and, and none of it is getting us closer to God's presence. Which I, I assume is the goal. None of it is getting us closer to that. So listen to this. Only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never with never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, had committed in ignorance. So on this day, on the, on the day of atonement, or maybe you've heard someone use the, use the words Yom Kippur, the one person, the high priest, could go into the presence of God. I'm one person who basically had to be flawless physically, I'm no, no, no kinds of defects, I'm had to be a son of a son of a son of the original high priest, Aaron, that, that person could go into the, into the holy place which is separated from everything else by this huge veil, um, just this huge uh, huge drape of linen, um, blue, purple, scarlet, gold accent. Um, it, it, it was not the kind of curtain that could be blown by the wind. It was huge. And so before the high priest entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he had, to, he had all this stuff to do. He had to wash himself. He put on special clothing. He had to bring um, burning incense to, to, to put smoke that covered his eyes between the direct view of him and God and bring sacrificial blood with him um, to make atonement for sins. And the priest would come with no less than three animals. One, one, one bull for the sin for his own family and one goat um, that the high priest would pray confessing, confessing all the sins of all of Israel onto that goat and then he would send it out into the wilderness and then one for a sacrifice for all their sins. And I, this, this, this wall or this curtain between God and the people, God's awesome presence, just for one person, though, to enter. It was never his intent. All this production goes on for, for hundreds of years, day after day, year after year. Uh, it, 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 imagine, imagine like... Some of you guys know the tax code is bananas. Like, the, the, so the U.S. tax code, I, I, you know, researched this, is more than 2,650 pages. That's, that's more than a million words. So, so and for a frame of reference, the whole entire Harry Potter, Harry Potter series is just over a million words. So imagine the exhaustion over trying to keep a million words of rules, an endless parade of sacrifices. So much is at stake. It's not. It's not enough. Like you're not just reading it. You have to. You have to remember them and keep them. And exhausting, exhausting. So by the time Jesus shows up, people are so exhausted and overwhelmed by the constant running and race to keep up with the laws that they're missing signs that something's not right. Something's not right. They started to think that the sacrifices and the rules that they were keeping are the point. Or the sacrifices and rules they were keeping would make it so that God would behave in certain ways. And and that if they worked hard enough, they were busy enough, and they were good enough, 
But listen to this in Hebrews. This is brilliant. I just, they needed this. We need this as a reminder. The law, keeping rules, can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near for worship. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of goats, bulls, and goats to take away sins. Let me read this again. The law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near for, to worship. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, so if I've spent years and years and years and years and years doing all these sacrifices, wait, 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 wait. wait if that's true, God, then why do this for hundreds and hundreds of years? All that blood and all that energy and all that effort and all that work to prove to, 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 to prove our value, to get close to you. What's the point? Let me remind you of this verse. Listen to this. It says this. In Genesis, God's command to Adam and Eve. You must not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not disobey my command. And if you do, you will certainly die. All this production is he wants them to understand that without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That sin in itself causes death and the shedding of blood. And you're like, God, why did you just tell us that? I did. I did. But you won't learn until you hear it. And I show you. And it costs you something. And sin will kill you. And you'll kill yourself trying to keep up with it. Until you learn what I've been trying to teach you. You can't earn your way into being a good person. It, it won't work. And all the good stuff that, that you, you, you do won't make you good. You will, still, you will still be far, far, far from God's presence. Only the high priest entered the room. And that only once a year. And never, never without blood. Which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had committed the sin. By the time people show up, uh, by the time Jesus shows up, the people understand that the high priest is the only person ever, ever who can go into that place, in that inner room, and never without blood. Never without blood. When Jesus shows up, he enters the holy place. And the only blood that he brings with him is his own. Is his own. Day after day, every high priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one, 
one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hundreds and hundreds of years and thousands of sacrifices. And Jesus shows up and he says, I'm going to just do this once, guys. I'm going to just do this once. And after I do it, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be done. I'm going to be done. Finally, no more having to pursue perfection that we will never reach in all the ways that we try to reach it. We can just, we, Jesus sat down so we can sit down too. Jesus has reached it. We can rest and pay attention to what God wants to do, what he wants to tell us. And we can set our hearts on God because we love him, not because of, not because we've kept his laws really well, not because we've been able to keep up, but because Jesus paved the way. It is, imagine being an Israelite who spent their whole life making sacrifices in order to be able to, to, to even be in the same sentence that God is in, let alone be in his presence, and try to transfer that over to what we have been given free access to. It would have been beyond their mind's it would be beyond for them to be able to comprehend that we get to stroll into God's presence in a way that would have been unreal for them because of that one sacrifice. When we take communion, we set our hearts on that, that we get to walk into God's presence in a way that is unreal. I will, it's just, it's not, it is not impossible for us to do that only because of Jesus. I will, uh, and what I want when I think of that is this. I will obey you, Lord. Not because you have to show me. Not because it costs me anything. Just just because you said it. Before I pray, let me share this. Um, let me share this. If you refuse what I'm talking about, let me share. Let me, for if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins. That is, there is no further offering to anticipate, but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire of burning wrath, which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. My least, least, least favorite verses in the Bible is stuff like this. The Israelites understood this viscerally. <laughs> the only way that we can understand it at this time is to just believe. Believe that what he's saying is true. During this time of communion, I want to invite us to embrace 
the idea of God's presence where there is rest. No more sacrifices and earning our way, just rest. As he sets up our sin compared to his presence, it'll be clear. There ain't nothing we're going to be able to do except for just to rest in him. Would you accept that? So this doesn't have to be any part of our future. During this time of communion, let's, let us embrace what God calls us to. Before he has to show us and before he has to call for us to cost us something. Um, the Sabbath that is not just Sunday or the one day, but for our lives. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I grieve that often you have to uh, show me and it has to cost me something before I'm willing to listen to you. I pray against that for our church family. Um, I pray that for each individual that we would listen to you. Um, not, and not because we're afraid of punishment, but because we know that you love us. And that the whole production, hundreds of years uh, that happened in, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, all of that was to help people, help us understand what we're unwilling to understand often. That your glory, your presence, your holiness is so opposite from us. The only way we can receive it is through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to love and accept that and to live into that Sabbath rest as we take communion today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.